Greg Thompson, and I am counting. Yes, I'm the other pastor here. I wasn't sure if everybody had been up here this morning, but I am the other one, and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning. Thank you. If you're a guest with us, we are thrilled to have you with us. If you're not a guest with us, we're thrilled to have you too. Um, I do need to apologize. I think we ran out of bulletins this morning. That's y'all's fault for showing up. Um, uh, or it's my fault for not telling everybody to print enough. So y'all can assign the blame wherever you want to assign. Uh, it's a wonderful problem for us to have, and we can certainly uh, rectify that uh, in the coming week. But we are grateful that you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. So you can go ahead and turn there. I have four announcements that I need to give you before we jump off into this sermon with both feet. First of all, as Adam mentioned, our fall festival is just around the corner. Uh, please bring all of your candy. Remember, we always need more than you think, so just bring all the candy. Also, if you would be willing, see Rhonda Adams. She will give you some candy, which is kind of backwards, um, and she will give you some bags, but what we have to do is take some of that candy and put it in little baggies so that it can be used during trunk or treat, and she said that if y'all would see her and help her with that, she wouldn't have to do it all by herself. So if y'all would see Rhonda, if you're interested in that. Baptism is coming up in a couple of weeks. If you have recently made a profession of faith in Christ and you'd like to be baptized, um, you can fill out the form online so that we can meet with you uh, and talk with you about that and get that lined up. Perhaps you made a profession in faith years ago and you've just never been baptized. Uh, we would welcome you in that process. So um, let's uh, make sure we have that and, and move forward with that. Baptism on the 28th. Our next steps class will be next Sunday at 4 o'clock. So if you have been visiting our church or interested in what it might look like to become a member here, uh, want to learn a little more about us, I would encourage you to meet with us in our Next Steps class. Uh, we meet in the conference room, which is just over there behind that door. So 4 o'clock next Sunday afternoon, I do lead that and would love to have you. You can just show up or you can sign up online to attend that as well. Lastly, on Sunday, November the 4th, we'll kick off our revival services. I hope that you'll be playing, well, playing, praying uh, for those services as I have been. Dr. Condi Richardson will be with us to lead those. I'm excited to have him here, a good man that I love dearly, uh, former pastor at Hermitage Baptist Church. Um, uh, in addition, on that Sunday, we're going to do something that I, I don't think that we've ever done. We're going we're gonna to have a Prove the Tithe Sunday on that Sunday. We sat with finance committee this past week and looked, and God has been gracious to our church in the numbers. God's been gracious to our church to, to make sure that we meet all of our needs, and we celebrate that. Um, but as we look forward at what we could be doing as a church, things like paying off this building, paying down the debt, um, giving more money to missions, uh, many of you, uh, maybe, perhaps some of you, maybe just two of you, but certainly there's some who have never considered what it would look like to, to give a genuine tithe to the church. You've never prayed to the Lord and said, God, how might I support the ministries of the church with an actual tithe of the giving of 10%? We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. But what I want you to do right now is just be praying about uh, whether or not uh, many of you, I'm sure, give uh, a tithe to the church. And for that, we are so grateful and celebrate that. But if you've never prayed, Lord, uh, how would you have me to support the ministries of Malvern Hill? If you've never considered what that might look like, would you consider doing that for us in the coming weeks? Um, and then on November the 4th, we're going to ask everybody, even if you've never tithed before in your life, if you've never given 10%, we're going to ask you on that day to do that, just so we'll have a, an idea of what it would look like in our church if across the board, um, across the board we were tithing. Uh, how we might be able to pay down uh, our debt quick, more quickly, how we might be able to support international missions a little bit better. Listen, lots of cool things are happening, but uh, we're up 20% since May, okay? That means that our budget has to grow because Rhonda is going to freak out on me, if I, and it won't be my fault. I don't set the budget, but she'll blame me if we're not able to give her 20% more to go towards our children's ministry. You understand? 20% more kids going to camp. Adam's going to be angry if I can't get 20% more student ministry. So uh, all those things. Is my mic cutting out or is that in my head? I, I, are we good? Okay, it might just be in my head. My, I'm crazy sometimes. Anyway, that's where we are. Pray about that, how the Lord leads you. Um, and if you are already giving faithfully, thank you. We're grateful. If you're a guest with us this morning, don't give us a dime. All right? Unless you just feel so inclined to pay for my lunch, and you can do that on the way out the door. But other than that, don't give us a dime. I'm kidding about that. Please, your, your gift to us as a guest is just your card in the offering plate. And if you sit here and go, oh, this guy talks about money all the time. I do all the time. That's all I talk about. That was sarcasm. I'm glad you got the joke because nobody laughed for a minute, and I wasn't sure how that was going to end. 
All right. We are in, I said Mark chapter 9 earlier, and that is wrong. We are in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Hear now, for this is the Word of the Lord. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly! I say to you, no sign will be given to, this, given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Folks, before we cast stones at these disciples, I would ask you how many of us are just as hard-headed. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, and our mind to receive what you have for us in this word. Father God, may we not have the eyes and the ears and the heart and the mind of the disciples. Lord God, may we not have the heart of the Pharisees. Lord God, may we have hearts that are moldable in the hands of the Creator. In Jesus' name, amen. Signs and wonders. It's what everybody wanted from Jesus. And yet, it seemed that the more signs he gave and the more wonders that, it, that, that appeared, the more blind and obstinate the people became. This morning, my question for you is just that. Are you blind or obstinate? They're not the same thing. Blind is not usually something you can help. It's just something that you are. Obstinate, on the other hand, is really a bad problem, isn't it? Obstinate says, I will not do this thing. You know, sometimes the obstacles to our belief, our personal belief, vary. They can sort of be accidental or purposeful. In other words, you may not believe or trust in Jesus, maybe because you just have never given thought to it. Perhaps there's a, a possibility that some of you just wandered in here for the first time in a church, or maybe the first time in a long time, and it's been a long time since you've actually turned your mind to consider the things of the Lord. So maybe you're just a little bit blind to the things that are out there. You've not yet been made aware. There are others, however, whose obstacles to personal belief are not a blindness or an ignorance. They are very purposeful. They don't trust Jesus not because you haven't thought about it. Perhaps you've done everything in your power to avoid trusting Jesus. I will not. Folks, can I tell you this morning that regardless of the reasons... Jesus is calling you to trust Him. He's calling you to follow Him. And He answers all of your questions and He responds to all of your objections. And He does so ultimately with this one reality. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. And we will submit to Him today in fear and trembling and in salvation, or unfortunately, one day we will submit to him as he stands over us as victor and we submit in punishment. How in the world do we move past our blindness or our obstinacy, our hard-heartedness? Now, it's easy for us, and I, the reason that we're preaching these two passages as one on the Pharisees and the disciples right here is because I think it can be real easy for us as followers of Jesus to identify um, those other people. It's easy for us to identify the Pharisees as the problem and sort of see uh, the disciples, which we generally like to think of ourselves more as the disciple than a Pharisee, don't we? Of course, some of you like to think... Some of us at all times like to think of ourselves more as Jesus than any of these people, which is a problem too. We'll get to that in a minute. But generally, we think of the Pharisees as the problem. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is the Pharisees were a problem in their own right, but the disciples had problems all their own. 
And I want you to know this morning that whether this is the first time you've wandered in the doors of a church in a very long time and you're here under protest and you've made up your mind years and years ago that you would not submit to Jesus, whether that's you today or whether you are a person who wanders into this building on a regular basis or some other church building and occasionally listen to the teachings of the Word of God and yet have not owned them as your own, have not followed Him in faith, Regardless of whether or not you come at this and say, I will not, or perhaps I just haven't considered not, the reality is you're still living in unbelief. There's an unbelief that is present in the lives of the disciples and the lives of the Pharisees. I want us to look at those things together this morning. First thing this morning, how do we overcome it? That's what I want to focus on. How do we get there? First thing I want you to do is to have a heart to believe. Have a heart to believe. The Pharisees demanded signs from Jesus if they were to believe. In other words, Jesus would have to fit their mold if they were going to follow him. Now, I want us to think about this because in this view, Jesus must yield to the demands of people before they are going to follow him. Now, many people have been in this spot. Some of you have prayed that prayer before in your very own life. Lord God, if you'll just do this, I'll follow you. Lord, if you'll just do this, I'll follow you. The Pharisees said, you give us a sign and then we'll follow you. Folks, do we understand exactly how backwards that way of thinking is? In that way of thinking, we look to the king of the universe, to the God of all gods, who is the controller of all things, who is the authority, and we say, hey God, if you will bow down and do what I tell you to do, then I'll worship you. Why do we do that? Because we don't want a God to worship. We want to worship the person in the mirror. We don't want an all-knowing, all-powerful God. Our hearts are idol factories. And left to themselves, they tend to shape and mold into a, a God into a God of whose image? Of our own image. But you know, if we're honest, this is the kind of God we all want. We all want this sort of God. Now, this is interesting. Now, if we go on down and we read, so we generally focus on seeing this in the Pharisees, but if we go on down and we read what Jesus has to say about the disciples, he says, aware of what they said, he said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do not remember? What does this remind us of a little bit? It sounds a whole lot like Isaiah's call to ministry. Do you remember Isaiah's call to ministry? When God called Isaiah, he called him to a tough ministry. And he said, having eyes to see, they will not hear. Having ears to hear, they will not see. Having ears to hear, they will not hear. Isaiah gets this picture. God gives Isaiah this picture of the idols that the people of Israel have worshipped. And then God says to Isaiah to preach to the people this. He says, they will become just like those idols that they have worshipped. They will become deaf, dumb, and mute. They will not be able. Why? Because we become exactly what we worship. Do you want to know why many of the people in your life have become self-centered and angry people? Because they've become just like what they've worshipped. They became themselves all over again. Do you want to know why it is that people that fall in love with, and I'm not talking about people that just show up at church. I mean people who fall madly in love with Jesus Christ, okay? I'm talking about folks that have been genuinely converted and changed. Why do they change? Because the more they give their life to the Lord, the more they begin to look like Jesus. It's difficult to love Jesus, look like Jesus. Shoot. We good? Nope. This is my prosperity preacher microphone. (laughs) See what I did there? I know. I can hold it this way and then it's legit. Um, I'm going to get fired. Um, Look, it takes two-thirds of y'all to run me off, so I don't think there's two-thirds that would vote against me this morning, so we're good. We're good. All right. we haven't passed that new, new constitution yet, have we? We better hurry up and get that done. All right, so what, what, what was I even talking about? Jesus looking like Jesus and idols, right? Okay, let's just leave it right there. Folks, we become what we worship. We become what we worship. James K. Smith says that we love what we worship, which is kind of important, right? 
You want to know what you worship? Some people claim to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people claim to worship the Lord of heaven. But do your actions show that? The reality is you love that which you worship. Your affections are drawn towards the things that you feel and discover and find to be most important in life. Okay? Now, what we see is it's not just the Pharisees who are idolatrous. It's even the disciples who are idolatrous right here. Jesus is calling the disciples out of their idolatry. The difference is at least the disciples have a heart to be changed. The the Pharisees, however, look, the Bible says that Jesus listens to them. He sighs deeply in his spirit. Every parent knows this sigh, don't we? Right? It's that sigh of great disappointment and frustration and All the things that get wrapped up into one. The Pharisees look at Jesus and say, if you'll just give us a sign, then we'll follow you. The Bible says that Jesus said, I will give you nothing. And he turned around and walked off. Now Matthew gives us a further or or a more detailed picture of this. Matthew looks at them and says, I'm not going to give you anything except the sign of Jonah. And they were like, you can get swallowed by a fish? Of course, no. Jesus is just saying, I will, want, I will be in the belly of the earth for three days, and on the third day I will rise, and you will know. Why did Jesus offer them zero signs? First of all, Jesus was not going to dance to their music. You understand? Jesus is the king. The king has no need to behave at the behest of his, of his people. That is important. The very moment that Jesus says, I will behave exactly as you would have me to behave, he ceases to be God. Do you understand that? Look at how backwards it is. Who wants to worship? I mean, honestly, who wants to worship a God that is so easily controlled as for Craig Thompson to say, I'll be happy to follow you if you'll just do what I tell you to do. Who becomes God at that moment? Me. The Pharisees say, we'll be happy to worship you, but here's the deal. We need you to be the kind of God we want you to be, number one. Number two, we need to make sure that you maintain our social status. We need to make sure that you don't mess our life up too much. Don't be uncomfortable with us, Jesus. The Bible says Jesus walked off. Why? Because the Pharisees wanted a God they controlled. And Jesus doesn't dance on command. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to submit to them, but the difference is is that following the Lord Jesus Christ requires that we submit to Him. Submit, submit, submit. Folks, authority is not a popular word in our culture today. Parents often aren't even teaching their children to respect earthly authorities, and as a result, it becomes increasingly difficult to convince people that they should respect heavenly authorities. Jesus doesn't exist. God does not exist to do as you tell Him. And if He did, He would not be God. Have a heart to believe. A heart that is willing to submit I've gotten roped into helping coach Little League football, and uh, I, I, I love my son, so I do it because I love Wyatt, but I, I don't enjoy coaching Little League anything. Um, it's just not my jam. That's fine. Um, but I uh, uh, corrected a kid as he came off the sidelines yesterday. It wasn't a big correction. It was a relatively small correction. Hey, hey, good job, but that one thing you did wrong. The child then proceeded to turn around and look at me. He had to look up because he's this tall, and he looked up at me. And I outweigh him by 200 or 150 pounds, I guess. I don't know. He looks up at me, and he says, not trying to be smart, but I did the right thing. That other person was wrong. I sighed deeply in my spirit. I have four children, and not one of them has ever thought to fix their mouth to look at me and say, not trying to be smart, but you're stupid, and you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Listen, but guess what? 
Whose fault is that? It's just mama's fault. It's just daddy's fault. Right? When you got a 10-year-old kid, an 11-year-old kid that doesn't respect authority, that's mama and daddy's fault. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me. You want them to follow the Lord Jesus and submit to His authority and you allow them to disrespect all the authority in their life. They come home and they gripe about their teacher and what their teacher did and you go, I know, baby. That teacher, she just mean. And then you call up to the school and you say, why don't you, why you treat my kid bad? No! You look at your child and you say, your job is to learn and keep your mouth shut. And if you have to, then you go behind their back and you deal with whatever needs to be dealt with at the school. But a child is to submit to authority. And we have a spiritual responsibility to teach them to do that. Because if we do not, they will look up at God and say, "Mm mm-mm, God, let me explain something. I did my part. Where have you been? Oh, and by the way, parents, you'll walk into my office when they're 20 and you'll say, I don't know why they're not following the Lord. They're 25 years old and they've lost it all and you're going to go, I don't know what's going on. And it takes everything in me to not say, you didn't teach them to eat their broccoli when they were two. You didn't make them listen to their teachers when they were five. And now you're walking in here and you're saying, they don't want to listen to me. And I'm going to say, they didn't listen to you when they were born and you allowed it. And now they won't listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, that's hard. I'm just telling you the truth. It's hard for us to handle. And I pray to God none of you have to look at me one day and say, Craig, practice your own preaching. We have to be willing to submit to the authority in our lives. And the great authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the very moment that we say, God, you do as I say, and then I'll follow, then what we said was, God, I want to be God, and then you can do, then I'll be happy to worship at your feet. You know, what's interesting is that they demanded more signs and wonders. But do you know that signs and wonders wouldn't have done a thing for them? You see, the incredible thing is that when we have hearts that are hardened to the Lord Jesus Christ, signs and wonders often do nothing but harden our hearts even further. And if you need evidence, turn to Pharaoh. The Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened towards the Lord. And the more that God did to show his power and glory, the more hardened Pharaoh became. Because the more that the Lord submitted, or excuse me, exerted his authority and control over Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't suddenly submit to that. Pharaoh became angry and obstinate because Pharaoh wanted to be his own God. Folks, you can't be your own God. There is only one. Have hearts to believe. Number two, this morning, have eyes to see. See, believers don't get off the hook right here. The Pharisees wouldn't see. The disciples couldn't see. Why? They'd seen Jesus do great things, but they didn't have spiritual eyes to see what was behind those great things. The disciples couldn't see past their personal circumstances. Hey, have you allowed temporal problems, problems right here in your own life to blind you to the good work of Jesus? Believer, have you? You see, the Pharisees expected too much of Jesus, but the disciples in many ways expected far too little. The Pharisees said, do more, so we'll believe. The disciples were content to see a miracle worker without recognizing that he was the Savior of all the world. Believer, have you expected far too little of Jesus? Has Jesus just become that thing that makes you feel good when you show up at church on Sunday morning? Do you like to sing the songs because the songs make you feel good on the inside? Do you like to touch heaven on Sunday mornings and then walk out and live like hell the rest of the week? You see, that's not because you expect too much of the Lord. It's because you expect far too little. You really don't realize what He has to offer. You don't realize what peace and hope and security can come and be found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your eyes been too preoccupied in the wrong places? How have you missed Jesus because you've been too self-focused? Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus is trying to teach them, and the disciples go, oh, I'm hungry. It's like dealing with a five-year-old. I know I have one. 
Let me tell you something about five-year-olds. When they get hungry, they don't think about anything else. They become angry, angry little gremlins. They don't have the ability to move past all the rumble in their stomach to move on to think about more complex things. And so you say something like, put your shoes on. And somewhere there's this child rolling in the floor like an alligator trying to kill a deer. And as a parent, you want to freak out, but, but at some point you have to realize that this child is starving, apparently, they think. They're hungry, and, and their brain just can't process all the things. Well, the disciples have begun to act kind of like that five-year-old. Jesus says, beware, and the disciples go, man, I'm hungry. Some of you are sitting right here right now, and you're having a difficult time listening to what I'm saying because you're thinking about what's for lunch. See, that's how it gets real personal, isn't it? Lunch won't be that good, and you have to wait too long to get it. So just focus right here. The disciples didn't have eyes to see. They had seen all that Jesus had done, but they couldn't see past it. You see, the only thing they saw Jesus as was the key to a quick meal. Jesus was McDonald's. Except they didn't have spiritual eyes to see that what Jesus was offering was not just bread, but living bread and living water and life and hope. These are the promises of the gospel. Have eyes to see. Beyond what is in your bank account. Eyes to see beyond what's in front of you tomorrow. Eyes to see all that Jesus would have for you right here. You say, Craig, what is that? Do you know that some of those things, some of those things vary from person to person, but by and large, what Jesus has for all of us is the hope of the gospel. He has eternal life laid up for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Number three this morning, have ears to hear. Oh, let's go back. Let's go back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Eyes to see. What kind of eyes do we need? Turn to Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Some of you have this memorized probably. The Bible says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convic- the conviction of things not seen. This is the kind of eyes the disciples didn't have. They didn't have eyes of faith. The only thing they could see were the things they could touch. Folks, you got to look past what you can touch to the things that you can't get to that you can only access in faith. And salvation is the greatest thing that's open to us in faith alone. Number three this morning, so have, have a heart to believe, have eyes to see, have ears to hear, ears to hear God's word. Think about all that Jesus has said up to this point. And yet here Jesus warns them about leaven and they don't hear what in the world he's talking about. Now there's nothing wrong with their physical ears, but their spiritual ears are stopped up we got to hear God's Word. Hear it as it is intended. Not superficially, but spiritually. Deeply. Hear it in a life-changing way. Don't hear it as you want to hear it. Hear it as God intended it. I, uh, I started pre-marriage counseling with a couple this week. Went, went great. One of the things that, that I'll talk about in, in depth in pre-marriage counseling, and, and if, if some of you have been, we've sat down to talk about marriage counseling as you've kind of reached an impasse in your life or something. One of the things that we talk about regularly is communication. Communication creates some significant impasses in marriage. An unwillingness to communicate, an inability. See, see the truth of the matter is, just side note, this is some free marriage counseling. It's always free, so it's just free this time too. Um, I'm not good enough for anybody to pay. Um, but listen, it's rarely that it's an inability to communicate. Sometimes it is. Often it is an unwillingness to communicate. You understand? An unwillingness. Some of you have communication problems, not because you can't talk and listen, but because you won't turn the TV off for 20 minutes a day and talk. You understand? That's not an inability. That's an unwillingness. Right? Husband, if you will not give your wife 20 minutes of undivided attention a day, it's not because you're unable, it's because you're unwilling. Wife, if you won't forget about the kids for 20 minutes a day and give your husband 20 minutes of conversation, it's not because you're unable, it's because you're unwilling. Listen to me. Look, the TV will wait. Most of you have DVR anyway. The dishes will wait. All those other things will wait long enough. Okay? Not an inability, but an unwillingness to communicate. 
You see, having ears to hear as God intends for us to hear is not normally an inability issue. It's an unwillingness issue. We talked about this briefly in our life group this morning. Sort of how sometimes it's not that we don't understand God's Word. Sometimes it's more like we don't want to understand God's Word. Right? So you read it and you go, no, that couldn't be what that meant. No. An unwillingness to deal with the facts. Well, I really want that new whatever shirt. Surely the bank account doesn't say what it says it says. Surely we can actually afford these things. Folks, do you have ears to hear? Are you willing to hear with ears of faith? Are you willing to hear what Jesus has to say? Think about all the things that the disciples had heard from the Lord Jesus, and yet they had not heard them. You ever had one of those kids that could hear you and talk all at the same time? I was one of those. It was great. It was wonderful because I never stopped talking when I was a kid. I know y'all find that hard to believe. But I always heard everything, so it was wonderful. Like in Sunday school, I'd be talk, 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 and Craig, what did I just say? And then I could just spout it right back off. It's fantastic. My parents found out it wasn't so fantastic after that. But listen, I, I heard, but did I hear? You understand? Just because I could spout it back doesn't mean I internalized it. Doesn't mean I actually tried to listen. When's the last time you tried to listen to the Lord? When's the last time you opened up His Word and said, Speak to me, Lord, for your servant is listening. How does God speak to us right here? 66 books. This is His Word. It's so often that I have people come and say, I'm I'm praying for the Lord to give me a word. Folks, I'm here to tell you that you need not pray for Him to give you one. You need to pray for the ability to understand the willingness to apply the words that He has given you. And here it is. Words of life. Have ears to hear. And finally this morning, have a mind to remember. Have a mind to remember. Jesus said to the disciples, Do you not remember? As I was preparing for this sermon this week, man, that thing just kind of stabbed me in the heart. Do you not remember? The queen's chief remembrancer. It's a good term, right? The queen's remembrancer is the oldest continual judicial post in the royal family of England. Now the queen or the king, depending on which is in office, the queen or king's remembrancer has been in active office since the 11th century. They have an incredibly, incredibly important job. And it is to remember and remind the royal family of all the money that's due to them from all the properties that they own. See, the way that the the royal family of England continues today to be funded is through the property that they own. Now, in a feudal system, they own lots of property and lords and all these other things. And through all the land that they offered, there were taxes that were collected. Today, some of that actually comes through rent and lots of other things. Well, today everything is remembered essentially with, you know, Microsoft Excel or something else that's far more advanced than that. But once upon a time, they had to keep written records, and there was a responsibility given to one person. And it was your job to remind us to collect all of our debts. The remembrance, sir. To come and say, Queen, you remember you purchased that piece of property 30 years ago? And we've not actually collected taxes on it. She goes, oh, I had forgotten about that. Thank you. Jesus said to the disciples, do you not remember? Folks, listen to me. Some of the reason that some of you don't follow the Lord Jesus passionately is because you don't remember. You don't remember what he's done. You don't remember what he said. You don't remember what you've experienced. Spiritual remembering. The disciples were only concerned about their next meal. So concerned were they for their immediate needs that they actually couldn't remember what Jesus had said and done.
What have you forgotten about Jesus? What of his teachings have you squeezed out of your mind? Listen to me. We live in South Carolina, Camden, South Carolina. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. It's possible that there are some of you that have wandered into this place today who have never been exposed to the teachings of the Lord. You've never been exposed to the teachings of God's Word. And if that's you today, I want you to know that if this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, today can be the day of your salvation. Right now. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Period. It doesn't matter how much sin there's been. It doesn't matter how far you've gone or what you've done. God loves you. He will forgive you. Period. And today can be the day. You call the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If that's the first time you've ever heard it. But see, most of you have some kind of Christian memory. They're in the residual parts of your mind. Years ago, I sat down with our children's choir leaders and I said, I have a vision for what could happen in children's choir. They're wonderful. They said, please, Craig, tell us what could we do because at that time it was sort of chaotic. I said, I would love for our children to learn the books of the Bible in a song and for them to learn songs at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old that are theologically rich and impregnated with Scripture. That at 20 years old, when their life seems like it's falling apart, that those songs would be so embedded in their brain that there could be a children's song that they would remember that might give them a little bit of hope. Most of you have those things that are embedded in your brain that give you a little bit of hope. You haven't completely you haven't completely. Cross Jesus off the list because there's still something back there that says there's a church, there's hope. This morning I want to remind you that God loves you. That's what I want to do. The disciples, if the disciples who lived almost with Jesus and spent every day with Him could so quickly forget all the great things that He had done, then I recognize that we too can forget all the great things that he's done. And so today, I want you to hear me say, God loves you. If you forgot it, then remember it right now. He loves you. If you don't remember, then I want to remind you that there is hope. If you have forgotten or if you never knew, I want you to hear me say that the church of Jesus Christ exists to glorify God and give hope and family and purpose to all of God's people. I want you to remember that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, not just you. I want you to remember that all who call upon the name of the Lord, can, will, and shall be saved. You see, sometimes we can forget. I got caught in a rainstorm with Wyatt a few weeks ago. And uh, we, we were at ball practice, and it came a, a massive rainstorm, which ironically didn't rain anywhere except on the ball field. It didn't rain at my house. It didn't rain anywhere else. It just rained on us. I mean, we were so wet that when I got home and got us out of the truck, there were puddles of rainwater in the seats of the truck that ran off us. We were soaked, and we're driving home, and Wyatt was freezing to death. And I remembered, I think I might have shared this on Wednesday, I remembered... Something that I hadn't thought about in in probably 25 years. I I suddenly had a vivid memory, a reminder. Being in the front seat of my dad's old 68 Ford, the only seat, riding three deep across the front. My dad was driving. My brother was in the middle. I was in the window seat. My dad had gone to help out a friend, do a little work for him on a truck or something. And while he was there doing it, he had a pool. It was the fall of the year, about this time of the year. And my brother and I were standing there staring at that swimming pool. And his buddy said, let him swim. So we looked at dad. Yeah, swim, go ahead. So we pulled our shirts off. We jumped in the pool. We went swimming. He fixed the truck. 
We were driving back home. It was about dusk dark. We were freezing to death. I still remember. I remember that we turned the heat on in that truck. And as I was riding home with Wyatt, we had about five miles. And I called my dad later. And we had about, when we rode with him, it was about a 30-minute ride. I remember having that heat on. And as we were riding back and Wyatt was cold and wanted the heat on, I couldn't help but wonder how hot my dad must have been in that truck. Dry as a bone and us sitting over there shivering. It was a sweet memory for me. Just to remember, the, as crazy as it sounds, that my dad was willing to sweat so that we wouldn't freeze. It's kind of what dads do a lot of time, right? 25 years I hadn't thought about that. But soaking wet, riding in the front seat of my truck, I was reminded. Some of you might not have thought about the love that Jesus has for you in 25 years. Somewhere along the way, you forgot. It just squirted out of your memory banks. It ceased to be a part of your active memory. And here Jesus says to you, just as he said to his disciples, do you not remember? Do you not yet understand? He didn't respond to the disciples the same way he responded to the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Jesus walked away because until their hearts were willing to be softened, Jesus could do very little with them. But to the disciples, Jesus says, have you not paid attention? Do you not yet understand? What did they not understand? He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And he loves you. And he loves me. And check this out. He hasn't stopped. You may have forgotten about him, but he didn't forget about you. He may have squeezed out of your memory banks, but you didn't squeeze out of his. See, I called my dad. And I said, Dad, do you remember? He said, do you remember? Do I remember? He said, we were at this house on this day at that time of the year. You were wearing this, and this is what we did. See, my dad hadn't forgotten anything. And neither has yours. Prodigal though you may be, the father stands on the porch looking, waiting, hoping, Come home. See, back in the back room, God's got a new robe and a ring, and He's waiting. And you're going, He'll never let me come home. I haven't thought about Him in 15 years. And you know what He's willing to do? He's willing to forget those 15 years because He never forgot you. Would you come today? Would you come? You say, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. What if he rejects me? We're going to sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? I am a child of God. The Father stands ready, waiting. Will you come? Will you? You say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> he is. You know what he does? He takes the almost ready and makes them already ready and then gets them all really ready to be with him. One step. He's ready. He's waiting. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that you would work in this place. Father, for those who are here today that... Uh, have just forgotten how much you love. Father God, they didn't, they didn't intentionally, intentionally decide to have blind eyes or deaf ears, Lord God. They just forgot. Lord, they, they, they slipped out of the church. They, they slipped out of a relationship with you, Lord God. And, and they looked back and, and it seemed so far away. 
Lord, I pray that they would look ahead and see the Father waiting, ready to receive them. Lord, I pray you give them courage to trust. Lord God, I pray that you would bind their fear and their shame. They would come to Jesus today and be made right. Father, maybe today they're saved. Lord God, perhaps they just come home. They say, Lord, I have been a wayward child, but today I'm coming home. Lord God, as you would, the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Would y'all stand and sing with us this morning? And re- You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. 
My name's Carl Cambites. I'm deacon on call this week, but I'm not going to be here. <laughs> My wife decided that we're going to the Washington the Bible Museum with the seniors. So Paul Odom's going to fill in for me the first part of the week till I get back. Uh, you can call Paul. You can still call me. I got this cell phone thing in my pocket, uh, and I'll make whatever appropriate calls you need. But if you can't get a hold of us, call your deacon. They'll take care of you anytime. Call the church office. Somebody will help you. Now, I'm going to do something. I'm going to play the part that I remember. Do you all remember when we met in the gym? For all those years, all those chairs we tore down and set up, all the time that we were praying for God to work in this church, look around. He has done it and is still doing it. God, we love you and we thank you. Let's talk with God a minute. Father God, we come to you loving our hearts for you, Lord, thanking you for who you are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, help us to remember that everything we have comes from you. There's nothing we have that doesn't. Even this building, God, it all belongs to you. It's not ours. What you're doing here, God, is because of you, not man, not of us. God, help us to remember that to give back to you a small portion of what you have given us so that the ministries of this church here, your church, can continue, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.